I would love to have all of you visiting uh, in my mind stream right now. It's kind of a wild little world in there with with all these little synapses firing and because I am in a complete uh, state of uncertainty about, about where to go with the talk tonight. There have been many little streams running through, but I, on one hand it's unsettling, on the other hand I really like it a lot because, because in truth none of us knows what's going to happen next. And yet somehow we try to fabricate our life to make it seem predictable or orderly, but stuff happens and you really don't know. And in fact, this sense of don't know is, some would say, this is the awakened state. That, we, that this is the state that we uh, would be wise to cultivate it's, what is the line in the mind of the, uh, of the beginner? There are many possibilities. In the mind of the expert, there are few. You know, when we're so busy being the knower, uh, we often deprive ourselves of this certain kind of innocence and openness to see what actually emerges from us. And we get so habituated to um, thinking in very repetitive ways about ourselves, about our world, that we actually think we know who we are and we know how the world is. But then we stop for a moment and, and what's the world now? What is the world now? When we're just sitting here together, a very different experience than the idea of the world that plays through our mind or that we see on the news. At least for me, this world of don't know, of, of openness, of wakefulness, of uncertainty, this one's really, really alive and not nearly as depressing and deadening as the one that I imagine the one that plays through my mind. This is not taking anything away from all the craziness that when we open our eyes in a wide way to the world, uh, we see so much pain. But there is also this tendency not just to see the pain and be moved by it in our, just our immediate heartfulness, but we tend to start ruminating about it. In fact, there was a word used in the Buddha's teaching, which many of you have heard before. It's called papancha. And the traditional translation is the tendency of the worldlings, the worldlings' imagination to erupt in an effusion of commentary <laughs> that obscures the bare data of cognition. Or the, let's see, the... The, the simplest one is the unbidden going of the mind to imaginary places. Uh, that, but this, the eruption in the worldling's imagination that obscures the bare data of cognition. I think when we are so habituated to uh, being triggered by what we see, 
And this is, thank you. I was, you know, just beyond heart sick uh, when I, uh, as many of you, as probably anyone that, that heard about the massacre in New Zealand. I was thankful at that moment that I, that I practice the Dharma because what the Dharma taught me is that that perpetrator, that perpetrator became triggered by something they heard or saw or something somebody said to them. And that whatever that view was, that idea of reality, produced an unpleasant feeling in them. And they could not accommodate that feeling of, of unpleasant. They couldn't accommodate the feeling of not liking. And then that not liking created some internal tension and that tension, that tension exploded as, a, as that profusion of, of mental commentary. And the tendency when we're not able to feel what we feel and accommodate the feelings and see them as changing conditions and see that an idea of the world is not the world and an idea of myself is not myself, when we're not able to feel that everything recreates the sense of me apart from everything else and, and, and whatever that is upsetting gets othered, gets put onto somebody else, to another people, to to Muslims, to Jews, to, to people of color, to people who, are, people who are homeless. As though there's something wrong with them, the them. And that's all starts with a simple reaction to something heard, thought, or felt that was unpleasant. And it, it just spirals into this proliferation. And the tendency of the worldling's imagination is to erupt in an infusion of commentary. And then what happens? We become, when we're off in our own internal drama, we become disembodied, disconnected from, our, from all of our senses. Once we're disconnected from our senses and our body, for whatever innocent reason we just took off, is we be, our nervous system becomes dysregulated and something in us says, somebody's got to be to blame or I need to find out, I need to find my, I'm the one wave, I'm separate from the ocean, I'm crazy, I'm bad, I'm, something's wrong with me, I've got to find my way back to the ocean we've, and then we completely forget the, the peace that we're looking for, the relief we're looking for comes from waking up to this, this truth, the wisdom of insecurity, the wisdom of uncertainty. Don't know. I don't know what to do about the, the world. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know what to do about this feeling. I just have to feel it. But if I'm not able to... Sam Keane wrote this beautiful little piece that a little bit of an inspiration on what I was saying just now just the effects of not being able to, to stay embodied and feel what we feel. Sam Keane is a 
theologian and psychologist whose book is called The Faces of the Enemy, Reflections on the Hostile Imagination. So you think that's a little relevant right now? Shows how hatred, propaganda, warfare feed a hostile imagination. He urges us to find an alternative to the idea of redemptive violence and and the warrior mythology. In this expert, he discusses what we might do to counter our tendencies toward cruelty and revenge. Judgment, blaming, you know, just you name it. This is part of our mind's tendency to project our unwanted feelings. He says, to lessen the quantity of cruelty and sadism, we must learn to listen to the cry beneath violence. The victor must hear himself in the victim's cry, the winner feel himself in the humiliation of the loser. So long as we can visit pain on another, we need not feel our own pain. Anger lifts depression. For a time, purging our rage on a scapegoat relieves us of the feeling. But the need for cleansing of the unacceptable feelings builds up and we must plunge into a new cycle of violence. The only certain way out of the blind ritual of war is by learning to substitute grief for anger. Those who mourn the childhood love they never had, who treat their own wounds tenderly, learn to forgive and to break the vicious cycle of the wounded and the wounding. When we are unable to confess that our own parents our own governments, our own styles of life have disappointed and injured us, we will inevitably create an enemy on whom we heap our anger. Every day we are not grieving is a day we will be taking vengeance. So I'm just describing the, the need to feel, to be able to learn to be emotionally articulate, so that it, everything we feel doesn't just get immediately dumped on other. Because that, that perpetrator is not an other. That perpetrator is us. You know, that's, that, um, as, uh, as Reggie Ray said, says, Oh, this is, he talks about this teacher named Maladoma Somme who speaks about mo- emotions within a different, more transcendent frame of reference. He says that when someone in his village is taken over by a strong emotion, the entire village attends to that person. The reason is that to, to the Dagara people of Maladoma's homeland, strong emotion is never about just one person alone but rather about the village community itself. In his or her highly charged emotional state, a certain person is understood to be giving birth to something the the entire village needs to know and needs to address. Now, just to bring this a little bit closer in, you know, last week there was a little bit of irony in it, but I did, at the beginning of the evening, I did what we sometimes describe as a deep welcoming. I said, everybody here, I, the, we want everyone to feel safe. We want, we want to welcome you no matter what your, 
your, um, your racial identity, your sexual identity, your gender identity, your class, your whatever it is, your education. Everyone is welcome here and all parts of you are welcome here. And that is the general spirit. Yet, right in the midst of our group, there was someone who was in a psychotic manic cycle, a kind of uh, bipolar manic cycle last week, who was swirling around the room and moving, and it you know, disrupted the whole thing. Now, that person and that phenomenon of, of manic depression, bipolar, that is a, that's not just that person. That's a, that's a fruit of our community, not just our meditation community. Now, everybody is welcome, but we do try to balance that, that welcoming with the certain guidelines of how to be together here. You know, so just not to say that every, all chaos is invited here. We want everyone to keep noble silence here and to practice non-harm, not to kill anybody, not to steal anything, not to, not to flirt with anybody or, or target anyone, uh, not to, and not to come in here trashed. So that's the, those are some basic guidelines, but otherwise you're all welcome. But, but the tendency we see somebody come in, that's, that other, and not only do we have to manage it, but there's a tendency to start to think, you know, this is not myself, this is not, we, we other that person and uh, feel strong aversion. And, and our practice is to, yes, do what we have to do, but keep our hearts open toward the suffering that, that our community is expressing in that moment. So it's really quite close to home here. And we also uh, recognize the need for some security. Make sure that, that uh, not, we're not just safe in in thought, but in actual, in action as well. So one of my teachers once said, the idea is to be simple, not a simpleton. And the teachings are simple and, and beautiful but they're not just a they're not just a little a cookie cutter approach. They have to be their their point is to be able to creatively respond to our life the way we find it. So there's not an obvious right or wrong or you know it's a it's, sometimes we don't know. I didn't know exactly what to do with all the swirling going on last week. And, uh, but we just try to work with our... We work with the unpleasant and we feel it. We work with the pleasant and we try not to cling to it. We work with the neither unpleasant or pleasant and we try not to space out. We try to just stay balanced and, and well. But getting back to the to feeling, getting back to to the sense of because we live in such a uh, individualistic culture that's that already um, 
asks us to, to rely too much on our own counsel, our own um, isolation, our own individualism, there's already an internal disturbance because the wave has never been separated from the ocean. And so we're we're basically culturally living in a case of mistaken perception. We keep reinforcing the idea of, of separateness. This doesn't ever cancel out the conventional or relative individuality and boundaries that it's necessary for human beings to have. But we really are all part of a community. And the, more, the less we feel connected to each other as a community, the, the more internally dissonant our bodies tighten up and that just keeps feeding the discursive thinking. And whenever I'm uncomfortable, I start ruminating a little bit. You know, I just start ruminating. And the, the thoughts are generally centered around uh, not the, maybe the immediate and direct experience I have, but it centers around the, the sense of myself as, a, as a, um, an identity. And my identity... Once I get into the idea of it, you know this, once you get into the idea of your identity, you're in completely imaginary territory. Because the idea of you and you are way different. (laughs) In fact, I was listening to, you know, NPR is great. And they did a whole thing on, on being able to evaluate what's good art did you, any of you listen to that program? And the person who's the so-called expert says, you know, well, if, if you tell somebody you don't, you know, you th- think that art is good and, and somebody else tells you they don't think it's good at all, you'll get really upset. Why do you get upset? Because you become very identified with how you think, what you think is good art. Good luck getting identified with anything you'll get triggered because identity is so fragile. It's so unreliable. So as I'm listening, I'm saying, good luck. Good luck if you're identified with... It doesn't mean you don't have opinions, but the identification with them, that's not to be glorified. That's to be seen as a cause of, of, um, of frustrated desire and wounded pride when somebody doesn't see things the way that you do. And that's what, is the two, what are the two main causes of anger that the Buddha talked about? Frustrated desire and wounded pride. This is just the insecurity that comes with, with the um, disembodied view of ourselves that lives in our mind door. So how do we balance that? How do we re-regulate our nervous system? How do we find wholeness again? One we wake up to where we are. We're aware. When you are aware, you're not somebody. You're aware. Your senses are open. Your body is engaged. You are, there's a lot less of you and a lot more of everything else when you're present. 
And yet, when you're present, the ideas of you can float through your mind. Your internal dialogue becomes part of the, part of the field of awareness. But you don't become encapsulated in it. Taking that to be the, the true, your true being, you see it as your identity view. And that's fine. Everybody has one. But as a refuge, not very reliable. It's like quicksand. One teacher said it was the, it's the quicksand of somebodyness or somethingness. Instead, you want to you remember the firm ground of, of openness or emptiness. So we wake up, we feel our body. If I can feel my body, even if it starts out being really scattered from having been spinning in, in a lot of negativity, if I just stay with it, and I may need to move, I may need to do things, but if I just keep my senses open, stay conscious, once I'm relating to my experience with the strength of attention, then everything that I'm noticing begins to ease. I begin to re-regulate back into the natural peace and ease that it is the natural peace and ease of my nature that has just gotten so frozen because I've been living in virtual reality. So the last thing I'll say is that there's a reason that we, as yogis, those who who feel an affinity with the with the Buddha Dharma, you know, the awakening teachings of the Buddha, there's a reason that there's encouragement to consider what is actually a safe and reliable place to put your attention. A safe and reliable refuge, since that's all that anybody's ever looking for, is a place of peace and relief. It's what we hope is there for us at the end of the rainbow. It's it's, It's the hidden aim in everything that we look for in our lives. But our habit is to to go to our imagination, that effusion of commentary for refuge, or go to the shopping mall for refuge, or go to distraction for refuge, or, or go to sleep for refuge. It's sometimes called the poor person's nirvana, sleep. Yeah. <laughs> But the, the Buddha suggested that you go to the Buddha for refuge. Not to the historical Buddha. Maybe for some inspiration. But that's more of an external formality. When he said, go to the Buddha for refuge, he said, go to the one who knows, Buddha. Go to that in you which is awake. Primordially awake. And don't look for anything but this. So when we chant Buddhang Saranangga Chami, we don't we're not just joining the club. We're reminding ourselves, don't leave. Connect with this vital point and never be separated from it. Be aware. Without without awareness, you're we're just lost. Let's see, did I have that with me? Yeah. This is from the Tibetan teacher Noshul Ken Rinpoche, one of my favorite teachers. It says, homage to the, the sovereign within, self-arising mindfulness, this natural mindfulness. 
Look, friends, when seeing me, be mindful. I'm the mirror of mindfulness. I mirror your careful attention. Look clearly and see into the essence of mind. Mindfulness is the root of the Dharma. Mindfulness is the body of practice. Mindfulness is the fortress of the mind. Mindfulness is the friend of spontaneous, aware wisdom. You know, often in the Theravada, mindfulness is, is often coupled with panya or wisdom, awareness wisdom. That intrinsic in mindfulness is, is wisdom, is intelligence, is clarity, is, is this kind of unconfined capacity to respond. Sorry, I editorialized. Mindfulness is the friend of spontaneously aware wisdom. Mindfulness is the support of all the different streams of practice. Lack of mindfulness will allow the negative forces to overcome you. Without mindfulness, you will be swept away by laziness. Lack of mindfulness is the creator of evil deeds. Lack of mindfulness can accomplish nothing. Lack of mindfulness is a pile of dung. Without mindfulness, you sleep in an ocean of urine. Without mindfulness, you are a heartless corpse. Friends, please be mindful. (laughs) By the aspiration of the Lamas and the Buddhas, may all friends attain stable mindfulness. Because in a moment of mindfulness, like I said, and it's something very interesting to it's always interesting for me to check it out. I may not know much when I'm mindful, but, what I, also, but I do know one thing. I cannot find that terrible person I imagine when I'm being mindful. I cannot find the past when I'm being mindful. I cannot find the future. I can't even find the present. That's just another idea. All I can find is you and no evidence for anything wrong. I don't mean, you know, I consult my memory and I'm glad I can to think about the world and what I want to do about it. But I need, I need those thoughts to suffer. And when I'm present, I don't need anything. Everything is given. Nothing's missing. If I miss that, If I get that, my nervous system says, yeah, there's some safety right in the middle of it all. If I miss that, I think it's all just a hell realm. It's just, I'll just think about sickness, aging, dying, killing, war, hate, bigotry, climate disaster, everything. There's so much you can just... somebody came on this, I was just teaching in Phoenix, someone came and they were just understandably so heartsick. They're a climate activist. And, but they had fallen into this constant repetition. Whatever I do, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. And that person each time was literally incarnating as the helpless, hopeless one. After that thought passes, that feeling passes, here we are. We don't, we need this. We need this. 
So I go to the Buddha for refuge. And what does a Buddha know? The Buddha knows the Dharma. The Dharma are the teachings that everything comes and goes. You can't cling. Although I, I care for this world and I love it, but I may not be able to keep it from suffering. Those are the teachings of equanimity. I love those, those teachings help create a little rudder, but what creates more of a rudder is the Dharma that's showing up right in the field of my awareness here and now. This is the immediate Dharma, the truth. It's unmediated by my memory or, or my plans or worries. If I miss that, my nervous system can't tolerate it. So I go to the Buddha for refuge, I go to the Dharma for refuge, and here we are tonight, I go to the Sangha for refuge. And that, in the immediate sense, that's the support that we offer each other as reminders, as lifting each other together. You, if you just spin in your own isolation, I don't think people even do meditation. It's hard to sustain a meditation practice alone. It just kind of drifts into the lowest common denominator. It's the lifting power of, of satsang, of associating with truth with others that um, at least it reminds me, you know, these 30, almost 35 years. Without it, it's just, a, it's a Dharma desert out there. And uh, so that's why we clarify. I go to the Buddha for refuge. I go to the Dharma for refuge. I go to the Sangha for refuge. I enjoy everything else, but this is where I go to for refuge. And I try never to be separated from it. This is the, this is the medicine of my heart, is to wake up to where I am with others. Um, may we all awaken. May we never be apart from our Buddha nature. Um, and may we develop the foundation of non-harming uh, and and wise action so that we uh, as a community can be welcoming to all beings of in all conditions. Yeah. And may our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be liberated. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.